Hey, all you out there in podcast land, welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Michael Seventy. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing all right. Last week, we were given three randomly selected movies to review. Those films were uh, some romantic Indian drama that I cannot remember the name of. Um, okay. The 2013 Danish family comedy Ant Boy, <laughs> and the 2005 South Korean film Lady Vengeance, and our winner is <laughs> Lady Vengeance. Uh, Michael, why why do you think we went with Lady Vengeance? I mean, we had so many great options uh, <laughs> for this episode. I, yeah, you know, I think there was uh, some temptation to go with Ant Boy because, uh, you know, I mean, how can you pass that up? Uh, but I, I think what it basically came down to is that I had never seen any of this director's films. Um, and have you had you seen what you've seen Stoker, right? And maybe a couple others. Um, and I, don't know, I guess we just uh, we both have an interest in in love south korea and we've both heard things about this movie and it's really yeah so then you know i, I guess we just kind of you know looked at it as this is of these three movies uh the one that has the most potential of being an actual good movie <laughs> or i don't know at least it's made by a director who has uh earned some acclaim from some corners you know <clears throat> Oh no, Ant Boy. <laughs> yeah, that's. It. I, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow Luke Besson is like involved. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just assume. Do a kids movie. I think all of his movies are kids movies, personally. He, but you it know, was Arthur whatever. and the Invisibles. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Arthur and the Invisibles was him, and uh, maybe something else. I, there's sequels to that, but I don't know if he did the sequels to it. Probably did. Alright, good. <laughs> no. Anyways, uh, before our review, I thought it might be fun to talk about uh, some movie trailers for some of the big blockbusters coming out next year. There's been a lot of trailers that have all seemed to come out like in the last two weeks. I don't know yeah. why that is. Why right now? Um, the holidays, I guess? <laughs> it's just a big time for announcements? I don't know. The first one, of course, yeah. is uh, Jurassic World, and mm -hmm. uh, have you checked that one out, Michael? Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually just kind of watched that today. <laughs> um, today? What took you so long? <laughs> I don't know. Just at, at this point, uh, I, I couldn't <laughs> stop ignoring the 8 million links to <laughs> the trailer. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I saw the Star Wars trailer for the first time yesterday, <laughs> so I, I, I've kind of um, been behind, I guess. But yeah, no, I, I saw the Jurassic World trailer finally today. All right, well, I think so far how I'm feeling about that movie, you know, I'm a big Jurassic Park fan, mm -hmm. grew up with it, of course. Sure. I've, I've loved the concept from the start. I like the cast, I like the director choice, I like the, everyone involved. Um, the trailer didn't particularly blow me away. Uh, I don't know. The the CG didn't look as impressive for some reason. I don't know, as it did in the other ones. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's just the clips they chose. I don't know. And then, 
Other thing that stuck out to me was the dialogue <laughs> didn't seem very good. Yeah. Uh, in particular, a line where Chris Pratt says, like, something like, whatever kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I mean, Jurassic Park has always been kind of borderline B-movie, but that line is just full-on, <laughs> like, yeah. cheesy. And, you know, and them talking about how they're, oh, it's su- the super intelligent creature. It will kill everything. And, like, I don't know. It seemed all very cheesy B-movie. <laughs> um, and, and we've seen all that of uh, the, those themes in Jurassic Park films of, like, oh, we've played with nature. You know, we're playing God. Why did we... Why do we do this? And that is not interesting to me. All that science stuff, like, I got I, I got a good amount of science in the first Jurassic Park, and I was fine with it in that one. Yeah. I'm kind of done with that. I just kind of want to see people interacting with dinosaurs. Now we're to theme parks, so, you know, I want to see maybe some hilarious theme park-themed deaths <laughs> going off a roller coaster and do a dinosaur's mouth, maybe. That sounds kind of like R.L. Stein-esque, I think. <laughs> like, the cover. Have, you know, it kind of reminds me, have you ever heard, <coughs> there's this old card, card Dinosaur series, Attacks. Like, like cards. Dinosaur yeah, Attacks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, there's that, uh, there's, a, there's a story that back in the 90s, Tim Burton was given the choice to either make Mars Attacks, which is also a card series, or Dinosaur Attacks, and he went with Mars Attacks. Yeah. But it's funny, I've always wanted Dinosaur Attacks movie. And I was hoping, like, oh, this, this movie's set at a, at a theme park. Maybe this is the closest we'll ever get to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, there's some scenes in there. There's, like, a water world type thing. That's kind of, like, a fun kind of idea. But I'm kind of worried that this new Jurassic Park is going to be kind of just same same stuff we've already seen. You know, like, same old, same old. Like, I don't know what else it has to offer. I don't know. What do you, What are your feelings on this new this new venture uh yeah i kind of feel the same way uh, as you do about some of the cgi they're just in terms of like the uh, the first one being just so awe-inspiring seeing that brontosaurus for the first time and then this one there's this shot of like the train going by um that little kind of water park area and it just kind of reminded me of those uh shots in attack of the clones and phantom menace of like you know the exteriors of these sci-fi areas where it's just it there's just kind of no personality to it if that makes sense right. just kind of anonymous little you know i don't know it, maybe that's just kind of a nitpick or just judging based off of a, a two second clip so you know we'll, we'll see how that actually looks in the movie but um other than that i i was actually kind of curious based on what you said um if if you feel like it maybe be a good idea to embrace that kind of B moviness, or if you think that maybe that would be kind of uh, the last thing that they would want to do when they're trying to reboot the whole thing, because up to this point, I think the one that uh, really was sort of a B movie or really tried to kind of be in the spirit of that was uh, the Lost World. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I guess the the consensus is that that's the probably the weakest one. Frankly, I, it's been a while since I've seen any of them. I, th- I saw the first one with you uh, and Autumn and Eric uh, last year, but other than that, I haven't seen any of them in a long time, so I, it, it's hard to tell, I guess. But what do you think? Um, what do I think about like what's what's the worst one or uh, <laughs> about what? Uh, no, y- yeah, w- which one is? Uh, if you think that the lost world is the weakest one and if you think it's because of that B movie factor and if maybe that's something we, we, we um i don't know if it's the weakest one i honestly 3 um i feel like has the least going for it in terms of like 
an interesting plot. Yeah. Like that one's pretty entertaining. And I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe on some days I would pick three over over the second one. The second one does have some pretty redeeming moments, though. Like the the T Rex going through San Diego, I think is a pretty memorable scene for everybody. Um, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I will say one thing about three. There's one scene in particular that really makes uh, makes me not like it. The first reveal of the dinosaur in that movie. Actually, you know, the whole structure of the first half of that movie. You know, the first two Jurassic Parks open with, you know, like... Uh, like, the first one, you get the, you get the scene with uh, all the people trying to keep the raptor, you know, secure in its, in its cage, right? You get this spooky dinosaur opening. Second one, it opens with this little girl on a beach, and she gets attacked by dinosaurs. <laughs> Third one opens with some kid, like crashing like some hang gliding thing into an island no dinosaurs the first time we see a dinosaur in that movie and this is the thing i was getting to that bugs me is a, a dream sequence um sam neil is like on a plane and then someone goes he turns and it's a raptor and the raptor's mouth opens and he goes alan and that one scene almost makes me just like like what okay they don't know what the fuck they're doing with this movie like who's like that was such a terrible idea. Like the other the other movies, I feel like made some attempt to build some suspense, and this one, I, I feel like it's just kind of going going through the motions. Um, Jurassic Park three, and I think that that in some respects, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna spend this whole podcast talking about Jurassic Park three. In some respects, like it's nice because there's not the weight of a plot. Like you can just kind of have fun, but at the same time, then it feels like if there is no real like like drive there with like the characters and like an interesting story then it doesn't really like mean anything so it doesn't ever really find that like balance so i don't know i mean i think two and three are like i don't know i, I kind of put them on the same level of mildly disappointing um there's my short answer <laughs> sure no no <laughs> um so i guess you could say that I, I, a new one i'm 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 excited uh, to see where they'll take it, but I don't have high hopes for them to be able to like take it anywhere we haven't already seen it. Um, I think I was telling someone just the other day that I'm expecting it to be as good, maybe as good as Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Not quite as good as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> but that level of of kind of like, the science here doesn't really make any sense, but I have like a good time. I like the people that are in it. Um... I don't know. I, I mean, I was really excited uh, hearing about Colin Trevorrow taking on this project and all these people involved. But now that there's been trailer, I don't know. I'm kind of not as stoked for some reason. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, as a fan of Lauren Lapkus, I hope she gets a lot of screen time. Uh, I hope she gets a lot. <laughs> oh, she will. <laughs> yeah, I hope that the movie's mainly about her. <laughs> That's... Uh, I hope she's in character as uh, Tracy from Comedy Bang Bang, but probably not. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I guess I, I, I don't. I'd be lying if I said I was super excited. But yeah, I, I, I will certainly see Jurassic World, and uh, hopefully a raptor won't talk. I think. Uh, something I'm less on the fence about in regards to excitement is the new Star Wars trailer. And I think the thing about the new Star Wars trailer is uh, we know so little that I don't think there's anything to complain about yet. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't know if there's anything that you saw in that, like, 88-second clip that really made you go, like, I don't trust this. Um, I don't know. I, for one thing, space? Come on. 
I, I think we're done with that. I, I, I was like, as soon as I realized that we were going to be in the stars once again, I don't know. Uh, well, is there a lot of complaints about the lightsaber? Like, isn't that what the people are complaining about? Uh, yeah, I did see a good bit. Uh, it's going on the internet now about Stephen Colbert explaining about how it um, it does make sense, like a lightsaber <laughs> that's built like that. I think my stance on it, though, is who gives a shit? They're lightsabers. They don't exist in reality. Like, I don't care if it's not a safe like weapon like it's not something that can be made so i feel like it's totally it's totally nitpicking like they clearly just went with that because it has it strikes an interesting kind of look you know like i feel like if you're judging it like already like on how it makes sense in terms of like like real science then you're kind of look you're thinking about the wrong thing here you know because star wars is like in terms of science fiction is as far as you can get into fantasy oh yeah absolutely for sure i mean they have these laser fights in space of course there's no sound in space (laughs) no one ever complains about that i mean because it doesn't matter that's not right it's not i don't feel like that's something to complain about. it's like a on party down martin stars character who wants everything to be hard (laughs) sci-fi like none of of that oh yeah yeah (laughs) oh no he'd hate yeah no he he, (laughs) i think he's the one complaining about that um but no i don't have anything to complain about uh, yet I, I I think I've been saying for a while that I feel like no more damage can be done. Like I mean, the prequels I feel like did enough damage to where there's no way like this can be worse than that. And even if there are, they are kind of bad. I don't know. I just I feel like I can't. I, I it can't make me any more mad than those movies did. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That <laughs> there's kind of nowhere to go but up, basically. I like to think so. I like to think they'll at least be as good as those new Star Trek films, um, which I'm not, like, crazy about, but they're fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I don't know. I think J.J. Uh, Abrams and uh, prequel-era George Lucas kind of shares a, a few, you know, a few faults, I guess, with regards to dialogue and... I don't know, maybe... I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think that J.J. Abrams is, like, gonna be... He, he's, he's not the anti... Um, you know... He, he's not 180 degrees from everything that was wrong with the prequels, but he's also not... Yeah. He, he, he's also not, you know, going to put a Jar Jar Binks in a movie. So there, you kind of have to look at it that way. Honestly, I, I would say that just watching that trailer, I, I like... The, <laughs> I like the brief images that I saw enough that I'm I'm on board with the existence of a new Star Wars movie. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like everything I hear, they're making the attempts to try to not piss people off, like by using puppets and using uh, more practical effects. Though I didn't really see anything in that trailer that looked like a practical effect. It all still looked pretty CG to me. Um, but it seems like they're making an effort. Uh, but I mean, I guess we just have to wait till that story's out. I was reading something just the other day that was like leaked story, you know, and it was probably bullshit. But then I was like reading it, and I don't know who wrote it, but it was like really, it was a really good story. And I was like, damn, I hope this is it. So now I'm gonna be disappointed if it's not what I was reading the other day. Uh, when I when um, I was a kid and really into Star Wars, there was this guy who called himself Super Shadow, 
and he pretended that he was friends with George Lucas, and he had this huge <laughs> website about all the plans for 7, 8, 9, and episodes 10, 11, and 12, and he wrote these big old screenplays, and it was just the most demented shit. I Like, just... He was so into this fantasy life that he had been built on- online, and I read those screenplays, and it was just bizarre. I hope that's 7, 8, and 9, and that he's actually real, and that all along Super Shadow is J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Who knows? Do those have titles? I don't even remember them. Uh, I hope that somebody does remember them and sends them to Ryan Johnson uh, for when episode 8 rolls around. <laughs> just gonna be totally insane yeah i hope so yeah, there, i remember there was one where like a zoo like a space zoo <laughs> it's basically like jurassic park but with star wars <laughs> i don't know which episode that was but yeah i don't know that sounds pretty good <laughs> space, zoo? space zoo yeah <laughs> episode eight space <laughs> zoo. after after every subtitle has been like the phantom menace and return of the jedi the empire strikes back star wars episode eight space zoo (laughs) we'll keep you posted on that um but until then uh let's talk about lady vengeance in our review Lady Vengeance. I'll start with a little bit of story here. So, after 13 and a half years in prison for murdering a young boy, Gumja Lee is released and tries to piece her life back together. She finds a job in a bakery, she orders a weapon, she reunites with her daughter, who is adopted by an Australian family, and she plots revenge against the real killer of the boy, which is a teacher she was once physically involved with named Mr. Uh, Beck? Bake? Beck, it's going to be a lot of problems with names in this uh, in this podcast. So along with the support of uh, former inmates from prison, Gimja seeks an unattained redemption with her vengeance. Uh, Michael, I'd be curious to know, what were your experiences with South Korean cinema before watching Lady Vengeance? Um, I guess not. It's, uh, I wouldn't call myself a connoisseur, an expert, anything like that. I think, guess, uh, like you, I'm pretty sure we both have... Um, uh, an affinity for Bong Joon-ho films. I think he's kind of a big guy for us. And other than that, just the occasional thing here and there. I don't know if um, we've said it on the last podcast or not. Uh, I think we said it at the beginning of this one, actually, but um, this is a director that neither of us... Or you, you've seen two, and I've seen zero. So, you know... Um, there this is a guy that's kind of a blank spot for me and he's a, from what i can tell a pretty big deal in south korea and um yeah i don't know i, I guess my exposure uh i haven't seen any of this guy's movies and i can off the top of my head name one other director <laughs> that, that i like so um yeah not not a whole lot really <clears throat> Uh, so the director, of course, is Chan Wook Park, yeah. I believe. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I have seen Old Boy. It was a long time ago. I don't feel like I could really judge it now. It was kind of something I just had on. So I, I, I gotta say I haven't really seen okay. it. I think most people are aware of all the violence. So I know going into this, I was at least ready for it to be violent. Um, I think something I wasn't ready for was how darkly 
comic it was, mm. like darkly comic. <laughs> yeah. Like it's places that American films would never go. Because let's talk about some of the characters. So this movie opens, um, opens actually a very interesting kind of sequence. It opens uh, right as this this character Gumja. I'm 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 praying that's close to right. Um, so she's getting out of jail, and she's immediately greeted by like all these people dressed like Santa Claus, and uh, they're all playing instruments. And there's a guy there with like a block of tofu to celebrate her getting out. And that character right off the bat is just super unusual. I can't even really remember what his involvement with her was. Was he involved at all with the teacher or something? What was his deal? Yeah, the uh, weird dude. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not gonna be good with names in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I think everybody's gonna be called dude and person too. Um, yeah, God, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to trying to think. I, I'm. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to be wrong. Because now I'm not sure who he was. But yeah, I, I believe. Because yeah, yeah. Because my because my impression is as I basically spoiled in the synopsis. This character is is basically. Um, uh, said that he, she did kill this boy because she was basically blackmailed mm-hmm. into doing that. Um, so I figured right off the bat, this weird dude is like, it, this is all like thanks for keeping up the the lie kind of. That was my impression. Right. Uh, but that character kind of uh, kind of goes to the background, but which is which is fine because there's a lot of other interesting characters to kind of fill <laughs> uh, fill the void. Um, Early on, the first half of the movie is it's pretty interesting in that. Uh, so Gimja gets out of prison, and the first thing she kind of does is uh, she starts reconnecting with old prisoners um, that you know uh, she spent time with. And we we discover through this that um, when she went to prison, she basically spent all her time like uh, like helping helping other people, and uh, and then also like kind of protecting people and kind of being a uh, like a badass but she's also thought as being very sweet and I, f- I found that really interesting to kind of develop the character and just this character's like arc by like the first half of the movie is basically like a bunch of flashbacks which i found uh pretty creative i don't know was that working for you like exploring all these other inmates stories um I'll, I'll say that in the moment i was um intrigued by that approach and that right. i thought that was a I don't know. I guess I thought that was an interesting way to sort of um, explore the central characters through all these other characters that she in turn helps. Um, I don't know if we want to get into our overall thoughts on the movie or the ending of the movie, but I'll just say that um, once the movie is over, I kind of uh, maybe questioned... I, I understood that approach, but I also maybe disagreed with it. Um, but we can get into that later. <clears throat> I'd be curious to kind of know about that now. Actually. Okay, you've enticed me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I always try to do. Uh, so you're saying by the end of the movie that didn't work for mm-hmm. you as much. Why? Why do you think that is? Basically, and I don't know if this. Uh, hopefully, this makes sense. <laughs> having you know, I got into it, but uh, I think that because of all those flashbacks, because of that method um, of talking about uh, Gumja, I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, she never is able to really become. Uh, we we can't really 
go with her when she makes the transition from that to a you know a killer you know right we're not able i for me i wasn't able to buy that it didn't sell that to me because it, it couldn't um we haven't had enough time with her and i do think that was intentional if, if you look at the news broadcast and all that stuff the way that they talk about uh how her, the dress that she wore that became like a sensation and you know there's so many uh, instances where she's kind of like not the focus of the frame even when everything's about her i understand that approach but um i think that i think that's like a different movie he's making like if he were making like a more of a, a media satire of, of kind of like the you know how everybody's projecting their uh what they want her to be or, or what their impression of her is you know i i could see maybe where he was going with that and for a few minutes i kind of thought that's what this movie was going to end up being because it's sort of like teased mm-hmm. in that direction but uh yeah because of, there are so many moments in this movie especially toward the end where you have to not only buy that she becomes this killer but there's a lot of emotional um points that uh, he's really trying to hammer home that I, I just couldn't uh, bring myself to be invested in. I guess because of that earlier approach. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think I kind of agree with that. Um, I feel like by the end, I didn't really sympathize with her that much. Um, she was kind of scary. I, she, I felt always felt like distance from her, kind of. Um, which is which is kind of interesting to think about, yeah. Because a lot of the other characters, supporting characters in this movie, I did feel like sympathetic towards. Um, I did like a lot of the supporting characters in this movie. That's something that really impressed me. Is they all kind of felt very fleshed out and lived in. Like you can switch the movie to be about like any other character, and it may just still work. It may be like an interesting movie in its own or something. Like uh, I, I mean, like I was really interested in that. Um, when she, she goes to work at a bakery and there's the baker and he's like he's this stressed out guy and he talks about how he's taking this drug that like keeps him awake all the time so he can always be baking and or, or like his um his like apprentice kind of character this naive young baker guy who in a couple scenes does get involved with Gumja or like that detective I really like the detective um though I I, I don't know I found it a little strange um near the end when he was kind of siding with her a little bit about this like murder plan like that was a little weird to me but he was still an interesting character uh to me like um i think one scene in particular that really stands out for me is uh you know she takes the fall for this crime but um and she's trying to tell the police you know like because and this is in one of the flashbacks that yeah i did i did it but they don't believe her because she doesn't really know the facts because she didn't actually kill the kid. Um, but then this, like, detective sees that she's kind of, like, onto something, and he kind of helps her, you know, like... Like, there's one scene where they have her, like, recreate the murder, and there's, like, press there. Do you remember that scene? Like, which I don't think is something that really, like, happens. <laughs> yeah. Do the, does the press get to hang out when someone recreates a murder yeah, scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, she has, like, a dummy, and she tries to... <laughs> and he's, like, helping her with, like, visual clues. Like, like which pillow do I grab to, you know, choke the person out? And he points to his watch, and it's brown. And, I don't know, there's scenes like that that made me really interested in that detective character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I could almost watch the, the movie just being about him. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Uh, as opposed to uh, a gimja. But, I mean, she does get involved in some interesting stuff. Uh, I don't know, the last... The last bit, I mean, we've kind of tiptoed around it, but 
um, I think we could talk about it. Her plan for this uh, this uh, Mr. Beck character. I mean, we know from the start that she's going to murder him somehow or, or, or take care of him, get her. I mean, the movie's called Lady Vengeance. We know something's going to happen. Um, but then the way that that's gone about and the detective is like helps. Um, she finds out that this teacher character who's played by uh, I'll mention he's played by Choi Min Sik who's in a lot of South Korean movies. He's like one of the biggest stars over there. He was also in, he's the star of Old Boy. Um, and he has a very good performance. He's very scary in everything I've ever seen him in. He's very scary. He's a scary guy. That's why they cast him. <laughs> Even when he's playing a character that like, it seems like less intense. I mean, his character's a, a freaking murderer, but his, his, his uh, disposition is usually more kind of like, um, like normal. Kind of yeah, I understand. But um, they basically they basically find out he's killed like he's killed other kids too. I guess uh, I think the whole the whole way that uh, the whole reason that she got involved um, with this kid plot too is is didn't like he convince her that this was like gonna be for some ransom or something originally. Yeah, that, yeah, it was a the kid. Yeah, so that's how she got involved and involved with that and everything. But anyways. Uh, we find that this guy has killed lots of lots of kids. So she, uh, Gim Ja, gets like all these parents together, all the parents of all these um, uh, dead kids, and uh, gets them together and has to decide like what should we do with this person, which is kind of interesting. But then like they basically decide, well, we'll all like murder him collectively. And even though like I get it, like their parents, their kids are dead, like. They want revenge. There's something about that whole, like, last sequence that, like, it really, like, was freaking me out. Like, I didn't feel like that's the direction I wanted it to go in. I don't know. How was that sequence, or that last half, sitting for you? Uh, it did not sit well with me, honestly. Uh, my first thought was um, that more than ever, I kind of appreciate uh, Blue Ruin <laughs> more, because I think that uh, Blue Ruin, uh, you know, is a revenge movie, but... Um, and like many revenge movies, it brings up the idea of what revenge actually is and the morality of revenge and the sort of the actual toll of it. Like, there actually is that ambiguity, but unlike those revenge movies, it actually kind of commits to that and explores that. Whereas this movie, I felt like it, it, it wants to be ambiguous. It certainly presents itself that way. And with that scene, I think... Uh, I, I do think he, he wants to uh make it seem as if he's posing the question or that he's i don't know maybe this is me <laughs> I, I i can't read his mind and i haven't like read any interviews with him but from what i can tell he's he's trying to make that sort of you know and he's trying to make it ambivalent he's trying to make a conflicted sort of uh, reaction in the viewer to me though i i think the only way that can play out though is as uh you know darkly cathartic or like you know i, I don't know for me i i was just uh, opposed to that the story going that way and opposed to it being framed as ambivalent because I, I don't think it it worked in that way just based on you know like if you're showing uh, these videos of all these kids being killed and showing it to the parents and seeing their reactions and seeing their anguish and them taking it out on him and you know throughout the movie showing this guy to be such a horrible person to his wife to you know obviously all the people he just killed 
Um, I, I don't know how conflicted you can expect the audience to be, so I found, which I guess ironically made me conflicted. I don't know. Uh -huh. um, so for yeah, I wasn't um, uh, with that. <laughs> what did you think though? I mean, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page. I mean, just just uh, they're all you like that point where they're they all have like knives and he's basically tied to a chair like it just like this it didn't feel like like a solution to me like this is like justice being done like no it's like this is like i mean i know it's a revenge movie but it seemed like they were trying to like con like show you like that this is this is the only solution and i don't know i didn't like being told that or or, or just it's just not how i wanted like the movie to go cuz i was liking I was liking the movie, and then up to that up to that point, I just it, it really left a bad taste in my mouth that that ending. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, I think you used a good example. Blue Ruin shows a revenge film where it shows that like revenge isn't just like okay, that's a solution. We've taken care of the problem. It's just like things just get worse and worse in that movie. Like it just keeps building and building after someone seeks revenge. And um, I feel like that was a more interesting kind of exploration of uh, of that idea. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know about the ending to this. But the rest of the movie, I will admit, I was very intrigued by. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Um, I don't know. I, how did you feel about the movie in general? I, I guess we haven't really talked about that yet. Yeah. Um, overall, and maybe this uh, – I, I kind of alluded to this in my, the whole Blue Ruin comparison – um, there's a, there's a tricky line that you you walk when you're making a revenge movie when you're kind of doing something that has a plot like this. Um, to me, it falls on the wrong side of that line, um, and I, I think that part of the problem is that if he's going to make these like immaculate compositions and, and presents um, you know all this brutal violence uh, in such a way, then. Uh, I don't know. To to me, he, he's he's presenting it to us, and um, in that in the way that he stylizes it, I, I think that if you're going to stylize violence in that way and, and make it um, so brutal, and then use sort of the the story and and you know use the conclusions that the characters come to, I guess, regarding that violence in that way, then you are kind of presenting. Um, I don't think he's presenting uh, an ambivalent or conflicted view of that violence. And for me, that kind of sours me on it. I also get, maybe this is just like a personal uh, bias, but there are so many things in this movie that make me uh, think of like some of these dudes I knew in high school who like exclusively like, it just seems like a very ain't it cool news kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just sort of like there's a certain there's a certain fanboy of the, of the kind of like anything that has like excessively stylized violence um, presented in like a comedic way. And I'm not saying that that's sort of the fault of the movie. Like I'm admitting that that's as much as a fault with, <laughs> with me. It's like, it's very subjective, but whenever there are so many things that are kind of played almost as gags here that just, I kind of just rolled my eyes at, although some of them worked. Like I, um, you know, when she poisons the woman and, and they're all kind of on the, out in the fields praising her, like, or, or even something like, I don't know, there, there are certain things that worked, but 
Um, something like the woman barbecuing the flashback it shows him. Uh, it says, "Oh, she killed uh, her husband and his mistress, and then she's like cooking on the grill, and then ate them, <laughs> and like it, you know pulls back." I can recognize that as like funny, and there are certain things about the craft of that joke that I liked, but the overall effect to me is just like it's so. Like my sensibility uh, is just kind of away from that. Like I, I can understand why what people appreciate in that, but it, it just um, I don't know. It, it isn't for me. I, I I don't think that like the uh, that style of of like escalating gags, the whole like even something like Kill Bill, which is kind of like an inevitable comparison, I think for this movie. Um, I. Th- <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that that's presented in in a way that is more like knowingly uh, in debt to kind of B movies and, and and martial arts. I don't know. I'm I get. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I think it was like here's the interesting thing about my viewing experience in this movie. I actually watched the first hour one day, and then I watched the second hour because the movie's roughly two hours. The next day and the first hour, the first day I watched. I felt I, to me it felt it did feel like like Kill Bill yeah. or something. It did feel like it has the narration, like some flashbacks have like a weird grain to yeah. them. Um, when it goes over the top, it goes over the <laughs> yeah. top. Like like one scene in particular that really stood out to me was, um, uh, you know, she wants to go uh, meet the parents of the the dead boy, and uh, w- that scene how we're introduced that scene is it cuts right into it and she's getting ready to chop off her finger and they're like everyone's like screaming. And like, like, like I could so imagine that being played is really serious, but they, they make it so over the top and so like morbid and crazy that it's like, like oddly comedic. And to me that like felt like something that I'd seen a Tarantino movie, the first half with like that narration and the weird visual styles and like the jokes like that, you see that, that felt like me, like it, it was working because it was ridiculous. But then, well, then the next day I watched the second half and it felt way heavier. It felt way more dramatic and way more removed from what I'd seen the previous day. And I think that's the, that's what's that was tough too because like I really enjoyed the first half actually, and then the second half, uh, it it just kind of made me kind of uncomfortable. Um, and you know something interesting I've heard about this film, and you've probably read about this somewhere too, is that uh, there's some version of of this film where the movie the whole time is slowly fading from color to black yeah and white. yeah i read that and i think maybe i guess that's what it that could also represent how the movie starts out kind of vibrant over the top and slowly descends into something way more dismal and depressing and though i don't know that i necessarily like that the last half is dismal and depressing and uh, brings up these weird questions and viewpoints that I don't agree with. I mean, I understand that's the progression that they're going yeah. for, and that it's an ex- it's an experiment. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, I think I like the first half enough where it does it doesn't bother me so much that the last half really doesn't work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's where I kind of uh, stand on it, like. I mean, obviously the version we watched didn't go into black and white, but I can say that I'm pretty sure I like the color version, <laughs> but the black and white, um, no, and, um, 
it's funny. I, I could remember little snippets of what I'd seen from Old Boy, and, and the, some of the darker stuff really reminded me of the stuff in Old Boy that I didn't like. That's like, God, this thing's like way like too visceral and dark. Yeah. That's not what I want to see. Even like Kill Bill at its darkest moments was never as dark as a bunch of people deciding, you know, to kill a man strapped to a chair. Like that was just so like, ugh. Um. So I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird movie, but I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Okay. Um, yeah well no i to be honest i think i i was really rambling there and i was trying to like solidify what it was that basically i i do like those gags and i do like that first part of the movie but for me i guess the that shift into the kind of black and white section as it would be um in that version of the movie for me um going from that uh you know world to that other world that made that second half I think that's kind of what, in a way, maybe that's it's emblematic. You know, it, it, that's what made that second half really. Um, I hate to use this word, but problematic uh, for me. Um, I don't know. It, it it just it it made it even harder for that second half to work in the way that it should. Like for for that to work, uh, you know, where this movie goes, for that to work, it really had to. Uh, get me to that point uh you know with the character and with you know the i don't know the grief that you know fuels that kind of revenge at the end and i guess i wasn't primed for that by the more cartoonish side i feel like maybe a movie that stuck um i don't know that that went with that more cartoonish side all the way through that would be kill bill (laughs) you know what i mean um but at the same time uh, not that Kill Bill doesn't have its, you know, its genuine pathos, um, but I think that that's within that kind of framework. Whereas with this movie, um, I don't know. For me, I just it, it it does that shift and it kind of loses me completely. Although I have to say, even if it had been uh, that first half all the way through, that would be a movie that I like better. But it still wouldn't completely. Uh, you know, I still wouldn't be completely on board with it just because of that kind of, I don't know, it, it's just like a, a sensibility that I was kind of into at a time, but at this point, it's just not where my head is at, <laughs> I guess. I don't know if that's kind of a weak reasoning, but yeah, there you go. Do you think you'd be curious to check out some of this director's other movies? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to write them off completely just because there are... Um, you know, for all the problems that I had with this, um, I would like to see if... It's my understanding that this is the third movie in that trilogy. Um, So I had the thought, just thinking about this, that, okay, what if this is one perspective on, uh, you know, the questions that this movie raises about revenge, or it wants to raise about revenge, I guess. You know, maybe if I watch one of the other two, then it'll kind of take a different tack and maybe be more up my alley just in terms of, you know, uh, my response to those ideas. So, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to just test that and maybe see something else by him. Yeah, I mean, looking at the rest of his career and looking at some of the reviews he's gotten, um, I've noticed, I was actually surprised, a lot of his movies haven't gotten, like, glowing reviews. He, he seems a pretty divisive... I bet, yeah. Um, a pretty divisive filmmaker, because I feel like he's willing to take uh, movies into places that 
people don't want them to go to sure. sometimes. Um, which in, in, in one part is admirable, and one part it's just like, well, there's a reason films don't go into those places. Because uh, no one wants to see that sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just interesting. It's interesting because uh, I do see similarities in the South Korean style, yet I feel like someone like Bong Joon-ho, he, he's had so much more success, I feel like, critically and commercially. And um, I do feel like there's similarities, but still, they're, they're still very they're very different filmmakers. Um, I, I feel like I, I rely on him. I keep bringing him up so much just cause I feel like I'm so much more familiar with his work and I'm a big fan. Um, and I, but I, I just feel like it's interesting cause you look at those guys and I feel like they all work together. Like they all produce each other's stuff. Like I know, uh, Chanwick Park was a producer on Snowpiercer. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they all work together. They all share the same, the same actors. Cause apparently, um, South Korea only has two male <laughs> actors. Like, I, I, I was counting all the um, South Korean movies that I've seen, and I think I've seen nine of them. And out of those nine, at least, I think, what was it, eight of them? Or, or it was either eight or seven of them either have um, Cho Min-sik, who was the, uh, the male antagonist of this film, who's also the star of Old Boy, or it had, um, oh, what's his name, Kang Ho Song, who was the star of The Host. And he actually had a cameo in this movie. <laughs> It's all connected. It's like those guys are in everything. Yeah. So I find it kind of interesting. It almost seems like there's like a like a collective of people working together down there. Um, another South Korean director I don't know if you're familiar with uh, is uh, uh, Kim Ji Won, uh, Kim Ji Woon, who, who made the movie A Tale of Two Sisters, and I saw The Devil. And uh, I know he's worked with those guys too. And what's also kind of interesting is all three of these directors, in the past two or three years, have all made their english speaking debut and i don't know i don't know why i bring that up it just i guess it's just an interesting fun fact to me that like these guys are working together and now they're all recently like hey let's try to do american films. yeah i wonder what that is maybe that's uh you know kind of a natural thing you know maybe if you look at the i mean just you know if you're a genre filmmaker which these guys both are and you kind of i don't know earn some sort of reputation uh within the united states where there are you know studios here or people here that are saying hey here's some money if you want to tackle this then i, I guess out of they, i don't know if these guys started at exactly the same time because i knew uh who was in the early 90s mid 90s i don't know by this guy i think they're all i think they're roughly the okay. same age all yeah guys. i mean i guess that just because their careers are kind of similar in that sense um, you know, maybe they sort of got that, uh, you know, <laughs> they just had such similar reception that at the same time it would make sense that they kind of <laughs> got their um, big American, not that Stoker's on the same kind of <laughs> budget level or, or whatnot as Snowpiercer, but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. And do you, do you know what, um, uh, Kim Ji Woon's American debut well, was? Well, he probably had the weakest of the three, but actually, it does have a fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's the last stand with Arnold. Oh Kevin. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, um, that movie got uh, some good reviews. Apparently, <laughs> you know that that was uh, that was the big Arnold's comeback. But yeah, like I I remember seeing the reviews for that, thinking like, oh man, I, I should really. See. I never got around to seeing it actually, but <laughs> so yeah, I guess at the same time. The Last Stand, Joker, and uh, 
uh, Snowpiercer are all <laughs> kind of... And, and, and it intrigues me that these guys who were this interesting collective of uh, people from South Korea have come over and made these American films that are still maybe not maybe not as good as their other work, but still interesting, like still like engaging and like different from your your American films you usually get. So I'm curious to see if they're going to keep making American films or if they're going to go back to doing South Korean films. Like I I wonder what the path of people like. Of like Chanwook Park and Bong Joon Ho, or I wonder, I like, should they keep making American films, or should, like, I don't know, like, didn't that kind of ruin John Woo? <laughs> uh, well, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it all comes down to whether you're making a good movie or a bad movie, and I, I certainly think that, uh, I mean, Snowpiercer, I thought that I liked that movie a lot. I think that's probably going to be, I like you it know, too. I, it's it's among my favorite movies of of this year um mm-hmm. i don't know i i it, is the question just like um if they keep making american movies will they kind of go the path of john Boo? like because i what i think is just that the american studio system is really awful it's hard to make a good movie period you know it's hard to make a movie period it's hard to make a good movie. It's hard to make a good movie when there's uh, executives that are giving you notes. It's hard to make a good movie when there's executives that are, executives that are giving you your notes and you have an actor that you didn't actually want for the part, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, not saying that that is what happened with John Boo, but that happens to a lot of American directors and American action directors. So if these guys, um, I don't know, I, I feel like that's always, you know, a potential pitfall there, but... At the same time, I don't know. I, I I think that they're just based off of Snowpiercer, which is the only of the three American movies I've seen by these guys. Um, you know, I, I think it's possible for them to bring their sensibility over here and, and apply it to you know a, a tentpole release or an action release, etc., and have it actually turn out to be good. So I, I hope that they're able to continue to uh, you know make movies here, and I hope that um, you know regardless of quality of movie you know i i hope that regardless of reception i guess i should say um that they're given a chance by the studios and given room by the studios and given a chance by audiences you know yeah (laughs) yeah i guess that's just the question i had in my head it's like did i want do i want these guys to stay in their comfort zone or do do i want them to come over here and you know like one scenario they come over here and they shake up the system and make interesting movies you know over here or they they fall into this <coughs> crappy action thing so i don't know i think i'm actually kind of leaning towards them staying and making some english speaking films and just kind of seeing like from a south korean director's perspective what that's like what that continues to be like i think i'm interested in seeing it go that direction for yeah. now so i'm excited about people like chan wook park and bong joon ho and um kim ji woon making american films um, as long as Kim Ji-woon doesn't do another last stand. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's good. Maybe it, it's got like a 60-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, no, I... You know, anyone anyone who took a movie that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Johnny Knoxville and, and somehow managed to get it good yeah, reviews... totally. I, I, I want to see it, actually. <laughs> this is reminding me that it's, it's on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd, 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 of course I'd recommend... Uh, any of other of uh, uh, Chanwick Park or Kim Ji Woon's uh, or Bong Joon Ho's movies, just because they're interesting. They're interesting guys. Um, 
But I guess back to, to Lady Vengeance. Um, if someone is interested in South Korean cinema, uh, would you recommend this one? Um, if somebody is interested in South Korean cinema, I would say, yeah, I'd recommend seeing it because uh, this guy is a pretty prominent director uh, in South Korean cinema. And I think that there's a lot of things stylistically to, you know, to observe that are... Um, would probably have interest um, for somebody who's into that. Um, I would just say that as somebody who has kind of a very... Uh, I, I haven't seen very many South Korean films, but the ones that I've seen I have liked, um, that this one I, <laughs> I haven't liked as much as uh, Bong Joon-ho's work, and that um, I can't just recommend the movie personally. So I, I guess I would say all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would recommend it, um, under any circumstances, just because it's so, uh, I don't know, it was visually stimulating, there's a lot, like, I don't know, I was, even though I didn't like the last half as much, I was glued to it the whole way through, I think people should give it a shot and see what kind of effect it has on them, but, uh, I don't know, maybe they won't like it, maybe they will, um, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting film, uh, it's, it's ambitious in some, in some aspects, I don't know. It, it, uh, I'll keep yeah. it at that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lady Vengeance. It's on Netflix. You can check it out. Uh, this is normally the segment where we do uh, John and Michael recommend. I don't know. Do you have anything to recommend this week? Um, if you don't, I can just skip it. <laughs> if you do. I, I'll just quickly say that uh, Britt and I just started watching The Killing on Netflix. And it's um, we're on season three. And we're watching the episode so fast because uh, the first two seasons of The Killing – are the most insane things I've ever seen. Just the writing, there's so many, the plot is just insane. Um, the There's just so many plot holes and, and just weird contrived scenarios and uh, like unintentionally funny dialogue. Um, but there's also, it's weird because everything else about the show besides the writing is excellent. Like, it, the cinematography, the direction, the actors, everything is just top-notch, except for the writing, and it's been amazing. But then we just started the third season, and so far, I'm actually really liking it. Uh, so, I don't know. I recommend watching the first two seasons and um, <laughs> just going along for the crazy ride that it is. And then, uh, so far, third season to see a, a show that's more gooder. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. The Killing. Um, I re- I watched that when it uh the first season when it aired. I remember yeah. on AMC. Um, I remember like, yeah, I agree. The show was was done really well, but be always being pissed off by I, I felt like I wasn't being shown enough. <laughs> yeah. just And then by the, like I feel like by season's end, I don't remember if they actually told you um, you know the, the the big reveal if that was at the end of the first season or if you had to wait until the second yeah. season. I I just remember being pissed <laughs> off. That's all I remember. Yeah. Um. I feel like that was a show that didn't give me enough. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I'm clearly I'm going from a no. You, your memory is dead um, on. That's exactly what it is, and it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> For, I don't know. I I'm having a ball with it personally. Man. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, didn't it get like? Uh, didn't Netflix like revive yeah, it? Yeah, the fourth season is uh, six episodes long, and it's just, it, Netflix just did that to wrap it all up, and because there was an audience for it. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I can't wait to get to that. Personally, I'm going to be writing letters uh, trying to get this uh, back on the air because it's, it's, <laughs> it is just the most amazing <laughs> thing I've ever seen. All right, yeah. Uh, the Killing, there you go. Uh, let's see. Have I seen anything recently? You know, the only movie I've seen recently, I don't know that I can um, recommend because I don't know if you can watch it anywhere because I kind of saw it by uh, iffy circumstances. I'll just keep it at that um, on the internet. <laughs> sure. Anyways, um, I saw a, a movie called um, Like Father, Like Son. It's a Japanese drama from writer-director Hirokazu mm -hmm. Kurita. I was just kind of looking at like best like films of the year, and this was a foreign film that I hadn't heard of from a Japanese director that a lot of people say does really great dramas. So I checked that out, and that was that was a very heartfelt movie. And I'll try I'll I'll try to be brief. It's basically a movie about a um, there's this family, and the uh, patriarch is this businessman, you know, like his his thirties, and he's uh putting a lot of time towards making sure his son is uh has like the best like education like takes piano lessons he wants him to be he wants him to be prepared for life and then these uh this, this family gets a call from the hospital and they get called down and they find out uh i don't know how just recently that um this kid that they've been raising isn't actually theirs that at some point um when the the child was born uh they accidentally switched two babies and they got some other family's yeah. kid so then they get really interested and they want to go check out see who their real son is these kids are like five six too and so they meet the other um family and they're like all blue collar and they're kind of slobs and you know so this businessman's like well i want i don't think they should be raising that kid i want this kid and there's all this kind of disputes between the family and then it's just kind of an interesting um uh exploration of like what parents are willing to do to make sure their kids have like the best life and like is it better if your kid has like the best education and, and best uh you know he takes all these piano lessons and stuff or is it just the kid be better off if he just has like a nice warm family that like goes and does fun stuff you know it's kind of an interesting idea um i thought i already heard that like dreamworks uh, got the uh, rights for a remake an american remake uh so, I'm sure you could look forward to that with Tom Hanks or something. <laughs> sure. Um, but that was that was a good movie. Uh, I don't think it's available anywhere. Um, I did see a movie called Like Father Like Son on Amazon Instant, but it's from 1987 and it stars Dudley Moore and Kurt Cameron. Um, I don't know if that's the same movie, but I would recommend that just because it sounds <laughs> hilarious. I didn't Dudley Moore and Kurt Cameron. God, I'm sad about it. Like. Does that mean like Kirk Cameron is Dudley Moore's son? Is it a body switch? I... <laughs> it's called Like no Father, Like Son. Is. I assume it is. Oh gosh, yeah, maybe I could. You know, I looked at the poster and Dudley Moore had like a baseball cap <laughs> and some. Oh, gum. just like a teenager in the eighties would have. So that's actually that could be what that movie is yeah. about. Body swap. Got him down. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so I recommend uh, 1987's like, <laughs> like Son, uh, along with the 2013 remake from exactly. Japan. All right, this moves on to the portion of our show where we go to the Netflix randomizer. This is where we use an app that randomly sorts through movies on Netflix, and then we have to choose from three of them. Uh I don't think uh, we're doing any Christmas stuff quite yet. You can definitely see some Christmas theme picks that are going to be coming up soon, but I think we still got one more 
slew with just anything but that before then. Um, though I don't know, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a Christmas movie and then we'll be like, hmm, maybe. Um, anyways, Michael, do you have the app ready? All right. So if you will treat us with our first selection. Okay, selection number one is Dracula 2 Ascension. 2003. I think it's a Christmas movie. Um, after finding the body of the infamous Count Dracula, a group of medical students meet a mysterious figure who wants to harvest the vampire's blood. That stars Jason Scott Lee and Jason London as a Dazed and Confused fame. Um, okay. It, it kind of gives me a prophecy vibe where it's a horror sequel, so we'll maybe... Although in that case, we ended up watching the first one anyway, so... Oh man, I'm looking at this uh, this yeah. director, and he's done he's done not not good things. He did a prophecy movie. <laughs> oh my god, he did do a prophecy <laughs> movie, and he co-wrote the new Terminator. Oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> he wow. did. Wow, good, good to know. Well, clearly Dracula Two Ascension. I mean, it's got to be good then, right? I think so. Yeah, I think that's how that works. What's this a sequel to? Uh, Bram, uh, the Francis Ford Coppola movie. It's, uh, it's Gary Oldman's back. <laughs> oh, is this a sequel to Dracula 2000? Oh, oh yeah, my god, is. really? That's awesome. With Gerard yeah, yeah, Butler? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> is this a, he's not in this one, though. No, they, they couldn't get Gerard back. No, they got they got a guy named Stephen Billington to play Dracula. His name is Dracula the Second. Dracula the Second. Oh my All god. Right. Slash Judas. <laughs> a little on the nose, I would say. You name the guy Judas. It's like, what What else can you do? Okay. <laughs> um, let's, what's our second selection? All right. Our second selection is called Gun Hill. It's from 2011. Uh, a pair of twins take opposing paths. One is a cop and the other a con man. Until the night one is killed and his brother assumes his identity. Um, it's a thriller, 78 minutes, and by a director named Reggie Rock Bythewood. It has an 8.8 .8 on IMDb. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all. Reggie Rock Bythewood? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, it's <laughs> an interesting name. Um, uh, as a. Yeah, okay. three out of five on Netflix. Uh, yeah, rating. Interesting. Okay, um, I've never heard of this, uh, but that could be fun. <laughs> How about what about uh, selection number two? All right, gonna hold this for maximum suspense. Um, and selection number three is not a movie, so I'm gonna skip that. I'm uh, gonna click the go thing again and wait for that to load. Suspense is killing me. Okay, there we go. Uh, number three is oh, it's a documentary. Do you not? Is that cool? Uh, what documentary? <laughs> it's a uh, Senna. Hmm. I've heard of that. That's the motorcycle one. Right? Oh, is it that? Is it not that? I thought it was is like a race car else? thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, oh, race cars. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. How about we do it one more time? <laughs> I'm, I'm not opposed to doing Senna, but I don't know. I don't know what that conversation would sure. be like. Okay, yeah. Um, one second. Okay, uh, this movie's called The Reunion. 
2011, uh, despite their animus for one another, three brothers, a suspended cop, a bail bondsman, and a thief just out of jail, unite to pursue a kidnapper. This is a WWE movie uh, from their comedy division <laughs> starring John Cena and Amy Smart. God, that's sad. Amy Smart's doing this. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> comedy yeah, division? Yeah, apparently they have family movies, action movies. Did you just come up with that or is that's that a, a real, real thing? thing? Their family, family division. division. A comedy division. Um, avant-garde. <laughs> that's just uh, Stone Cold's kind of doing like, you know... Unchina de Musa kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that's <laughs> March number three, I guess. Okay, those are some interesting movies. I have no idea where this will go. Um, but if you want to find out, then you can go to mildlypleased.com or you can find this podcast on iTunes by searching Mildly Pleased or Stream Police or, yeah, or any of that good stuff. Um, I don't know. Uh, Michael, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, fuck America. Oh.